fits perfectly in our series that we're concluding today, The Blessed Life, where we've been talking about generosity. And we've said that the blessed life is not a getting or receiving life, but it's a giving life. Because God said in his word, it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. And we're never more like God than when we give, because at his core, God is a giver. That's his character. He gives and he gives and he gives. And uh, we've been talking about some different things concerning generosity and tithing. And we've defined generosity as this, that generosity is giving more than what is expected or required. And that synonymous with generosity is being open-handed and big-hearted. And uh, for the past four weeks, we've talked about this, number, week number one. It was, it's all about the heart, that generosity and giving to God begins as a condition of our heart. And if we want to know if we're generous or not, we have to take a look at our heart and deal with the selfishness that we all have and the fear that we have concerning being generous and giving. Week two was it's all uh, about trust, that we're trusting God, that God truly is our source. He provides everything for us. And number two, that God owns it all. Everything is his. The earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof and even the people of the world, they're all his. He gives everything to us and that we trust that he's faithful and he's good. And an act of trust is giving to God, is tithing back to him. Week number three, was the principle of the first, that God is first in everything. God wants to be first in your life, especially in your finances, and the first belongs to him. And last week was the question that I asked was, am I generous? I wanted us to all ask ourselves that question and continue to ask ourselves that question, am I generous? We said this, you'll know if you're generous, if you can run your life through these three kind of filters, is that a generous person does these three things. A generous person loves, loves God and loves others. That a generous person serves, serves God and serves others and wants nothing in return. And then finally, a generous person gives. They give their time, they give their talent, and they give their treasure. They give to God and they give to others. And this week, I want to conclude this series with a challenge. And this challenge comes in the form of a question. But really what I hope to do this morning is put this all together and that we can actually use and act upon what we learn. Because if there's one thing about generosity that I'm beginning to understand is that it's not a feeling. I don't give when I feel like giving or when I feel compassionate. No, I, I make a decision to be generous because generosity is an action that begins with inside the heart. It's a decision that we make with our lives that I am going to be a generous person. I am going to live the blessed life. I'm not going to wait for the blessed life to just find me. Amen. It's not a feeling. So the question that I want to ask this morning is this, and it's the title of the message. What is in your hand? What is in your hand? And that's the challenge. I hope that when we walk out of here this morning that we can answer that question for ourselves and we can make a decision to do something about it. This question comes from two passages of scripture that I want to take a look at today. The first one is in Mark chapter 6. We're going to read verses 30 through 44. This story is familiar to some and maybe unfamiliar to to others, but it's called the feeding of the 5,000. The miracle when Jesus takes five loaves and two fish and he feeds 5,000 people. 
interesting thing about it is, is that it appears in all four of the Gospels, in Matthew, in Mark, in Luke, and in John. And when a story appears in all four Gospels, we should really take note of that, that there's something very profound that God wants us to know, and so profound that each writer of the Gospel, on the influence and the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wrote about this story. So I want to read it. I'm going to read it to you today uh, from a, a different translation. It's called The Voice, and it's written more in like the format of a story. And so if you have your Bibles, you can turn. It may be different, but I really want you to listen. And even, even maybe what you can do, sometimes I think the best way to listen to a story is to close your eyes. Don't fall asleep, okay? Hopefully you got coffee. Close your eyes and just kind of imagine the, the scenery and what's going on. One of the, 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 the bad things sometimes about knowing uh, stories in the Bible so well is that we check out, right? Yeah, I know, I heard. But if you could just, just kind of let yourself go a little bit, and uh, we'll read this story and we'll talk about it. All right? Here we go. Mark 6, verse, starting in verse 30. It says, Now the twelve returned from their travels and told him what they had done, whom they had seen, and how they had spread the good news of, the king, of God's kingdom. Jesus to the disciples, he said, let's go out into the wilderness for a while and rest ourselves. The crowds gathered as always, and Jesus and the twelve couldn't eat because so many people came and went. They could get no peace until they boarded a boat and sailed toward a deserted place. But the people would not be put off so easily. Those along the shore who recognized Jesus followed along the coast. People pushed out of all of the cities and gathered ahead of him so that when Jesus came ashore and saw this crowd of people waiting for him in a place that should have been relatively deserted, he was moved with compassion because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And as the day passed, at last the disciples came to Jesus. And they said, hey, Jesus, it's getting late. And there's nothing around for miles. Send these people to the surrounding villages so they can buy something to eat. And Jesus said to the disciples, well, why don't you give them something to eat? And the disciples looking at him, what? It would cost a fortune to buy bread for all of these people. Does anyone have bread? Said Jesus. Well, go and see. And so the disciples returning from the crowd, they said, here, there are five pieces of flat bread and two fish, as if that makes any difference. Jesus says, listen, tell them to gather in smaller groups and sit on the patch of green grass. And so the disciples gathered the people in groups of a hundred or fifty, and they sat down. And then Jesus took the five pieces of flat bread and two fish. He looked up to heaven, thanked God for the food, and broke it. And then he gave the pieces to the disciples to distribute. And all of the people ate until no one was hungry. Then they gathered the twelve baskets full of leftovers. And that day, five thousand men ate their fill of bread when Jesus fed the hungry crowd. Now, as I said, some of us, we've we've heard this story many times. And it's it's the feeding of of the five thousand. It's five loaves and two fishes. But in this story, encapsulated in this story, I think are, are, some very, are some principles for us concerning generosity and the way Jesus goes about this that I think we all need to pay attention to and even implement into our own lives. You see, this story centers around Jesus having sent his disciples out to do ministry without him. He sent them on their first journey by themselves to preach the gospel and do all these things. And so they come back from this journey. They're exhausted. They're hungry. All they want to do is rest. Jesus recognizes that. And he says, okay, guys, let's go rest. Because he was exhausted too. John the Baptist, his, his cousin, had just passed away. 
And they're telling Jesus of all the things that they've done. Man, this happened and that happened. And they believed and they were healed and da, 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 all, this, all this stuff. And they're like, yes, Jesus, let's just go rest. And so they try to go rest. And then the people are there waiting for Jesus. And so they, they minister to them. And then they get in a boat. And they're going to go to a deserted place. But people recognize that Jesus is in the boat. And then they all go around telling everybody. And people pour out of the cities and surrounding villages. Because it's Passover time. And there are thousands and thousands of hundreds of thousands of people in the surrounding area to celebrate the most important holiday or festival in the Jewish faith, the the celebration of Passover. And by the time they get off the boat, all these people are waiting for Jesus. The Bible says there's 5,000 men. And scholars believe once you add the women and children, you're probably looking anywhere from 15 to 20,000 people waiting for Jesus. The disciples see all those people and they're not compassionate at all. They're tired, and they're hungry, and they're like, you got to be kidding me. And Jesus, he doesn't say, you got to be kidding me. He says that he looks at the crowd, and he's moved with compassion, meaning that he, he senses their deepest, deepest need. He says they're like sheep without a shepherd. They have no leader. They've poured out of the cities and villages just to hear him. And so Jesus decides to teach, and he teaches for hours. Because the Bible says, after a while. So I'm, I bet you the disciples were like, gosh, we've heard this all before, Jesus. And so they, they say at some point after Jesus had been teaching and teaching and teaching, they come to Jesus, they're tired, they're hungry, but they have a great idea. They said, Jesus, it's late, it's late. And you know what? I bet you these people are hungry, they're starving, and we ain't got nothing. We got nothing to feed them. How about, how about you let these people go? Send them off into the villages. Let them buy themselves something to eat so we can go rest and relax. That's, that's their thought. Because there's nothing around, literally. There is nothing around. They're in a deserted place that the Bible tells us. Jesus, you got to let them go. Like, we really care about these people, Jesus. you got to let them go, get something to eat. In reality, they're just starving they're, and they're exhausted. In the, in the Gospel of John, it says that Jesus looks to one of the disciples and asks him a question. I believe it's Andrew. And he asked him a question, but the Bible says this. He asked Andrew a question already knowing what he was going to do, but just to test him. The question that he asked is the question that we read. Well, hey, well, why don't you feed these people? Really, Jesus, why don't, why don't we feed these people? There's 20,000 people here, Jesus. We have nothing, all of our resources we used on this trip. What are we going to feed them with? And Philip, it says in, in, uh, in John's gospel, Philip's like, hey, even if we were to save up half a year's wages, 200 denarii, it would not even be enough to buy bread for all these people. Other disciples said, yeah, Jesus, it would cost a fortune to feed these people. It'd be a waste of money because they can just go and get food on their own. Jesus, hey, you feed them. What? And then Jesus says this, hey, uh, yeah, just go ask somebody if they have bread. I don't know about you, but if I'm one of the disciples, I'm thinking, what in the world? This makes no sense. Jesus, are you tired and exhausted too? Go ask somebody if they have bread. There's 20,000 people here. What are we going to do with that? It may feed us. It may feed you. Go ask the people. But they do anyway because they love Jesus. So they go and they find that there's this little boy. John's gospel tells us it's a boy. He's got five loaves, two fishes. Loaves is a horrible word to use. This word is better. Pieces of flatbread, like an extra long wheat thin. And two sardines. This is equivalent to a snack pack or a Lunchable. It really is what it is. It's a little boy's Lunchable. Anybody ever eat Lunchables? Man, sometimes when you're really hungry, but they're just, they're gross. Especially the, especially the pizza ones. 
Anyway, they bring back a Lunchable to Jesus. They recognize the, the, the craziness of what they have. And they said, here you go, Jesus. We found this boy. He's got, you know, he's got five wheat thins and two sardines. As if that makes any difference. Can you tell him to go home? We got nothing. Jesus, he just, thank, he says, thank you. All right, now here's what I want you to do. He says, go tell them, 20,000 people, to get into groups of 50 to 100. Have you ever done anything with a group of people? I mean, how long do you think it took to organize these people into groups of 50 and 100? Especially if they have kids. By that time, they could have gone and got something to eat. Sit in groups of 50, 100 on this green piece of uh, grass here. So they do that. And the Bible says that then, then Jesus, and here's where I think the, the principles come for us, is what he did with this offering. What he did with this, this snack pack, this Lunchable. What he did? He takes it in his hands, and the Bible says that he looks up. He never looks at what is in front of him. He doesn't look at the, the horribly insignificant amount of food that's in his hands. He looks up. And then he thanks God for it. He thanks God for providing the food. And then he breaks it. Like he broke the wheat thins, broke the sardines. And this is that he gave it to the disciples and they gave it out. And they kept giving to the point where everyone didn't just have their own snack pack, but they ate till they were full. They ate as much as they wanted is what it says. And not only that, Jesus says, hey, look, let's not be wasteful. Go gather the leftovers. You know, I find it amazing that there were 12 baskets full left over, and there were 12 disciples that were hungry and exhausted. And even if they had money, didn't want to spend it on people, they only wanted to fill themselves full. And Jesus gives them a basket full, each one of them left over with food. Now, It's amazing in and of itself, the miracle. And I just want to share a few things that I think we learn from this story. The first one is, if you've been in church for any number of time, you've heard this phrase, but it's little is much in God's hands. And I heard that growing up, little is much, little is much. I get it. But what does that really, really mean? That that the little amount that we put in God's hands becomes much and it multiplies. I think one of the barriers to giving to God, generosity, tithing, however you would call it, is as we look at what we have to give and we say, this is so insignificant, God. It's not going to make a bit of difference whether I give this or I don't. My 10%, my $5, whatever the case may be, it's not going to help anybody. God, why would I even waste your time with giving it to you? I don't know, have you ever heard one of those statistics about the world and all of the hunger and poverty? They say 26,500 children are dying every day due to starvation. Can you help? And you're like, man, this problem is so much bigger than the $5 I'm going to send in. They've proven that statistics numb people. Statistics don't motivate anybody to give because you see, I can't even make a difference with what I have to give. A barrier to giving is what we deem insignificant, but what we see here is that a snack pack, a lunchable, a horribly insignificant offering, when put in the hands of Jesus, becomes much. That there is something supernatural that happens when you take what you say is insignificant and little and you put it in the hands of God. It multiplies. But it never multiplies in your hand. 
ever. When you put something insignificant in God's hands, it becomes significant. Something simple becomes profound. What was once not enough now becomes more than enough. And why? Because Jesus took it in his hands and he never focused on the amount that was in his hands, but he looked up and the Bible is specific about him looking up and saying, God, thank you for providing this. I think one of the postures of giving and generosity for us has to be number one with open hands, but an open hands that looks up and thanks God. God, thank you for giving to me what I have. And it is an honor and a privilege to give back to you. It isn't the amount that impresses God. It is the heart with which we give that impresses God. Showing us, I think Jesus is showing us that, that giving is truly an act of worship. Because it's focused on God, not us. It's not on the amount. You know, someone who gives a huge amount is no more important to God than someone who gives little. We see Jesus with that when he's talking to the Pharisees and they say, who gave the most money? And they're propping themselves up. And Jesus said, that widow right there who gave two mites, less than a penny, she has given more than anybody here today. That is insignificant mathematically and in the grand scheme of things. But to God, it was the heart with which she did it. God has an amazing ability to take little and then it becomes much. That five wheat thins and two sardines fed 20,000 people. And there were 12 baskets full left over. Little becomes much. What does that teach us? That true generosity begins when you take what's in your hand and you put it in God's hand first. You take what's in your hand and you put it in God's hand first. That step we can't miss. I put it in God's hand. He takes it. He blesses it. He breaks it. And he gives it back out. See, when you have, if you, if you deem it as little or however you want to talk about what's in your hand, what's in your hand maybe only ever help you. And it won't help anybody else. Maybe. Maybe it will. But when you put what's in God's hand, what's in your hand in God's hand, it not only helps you, it helps so many people. And then there's more left over. Because another barrier to giving and being generous is the statement here, I I don't have enough. I can't afford to be generous. I can't afford to help. All I could give is a dollar. All I could give is five dollars. I can't afford it. And what I'm hinting, you will never be able to afford it. And God can do more with that dollar, that five dollars, however much it is, if you'll just put it in his hand. Because that's where generosity is begins because here's the third thing little as much true generosity begins when we put what's in our hand in his hand is that we see that in this case that jesus is more than enough and he's always more than enough you know in the old testament when god revealed himself to abraham and to isaac and to jacob he says i am el shaddai I am God Almighty, or translated another way, I am the God who is more than enough. The God who is more than enough. That's one of his names, El Shaddai, the God who is more than enough. That's his character. That's who he is. One of the the beautiful things here about what Jesus does after he takes it in his hands and he looks up to heaven and he thanks God for it, he then breaks it. 
He breaks it. That is symbolic, I believe, of Jesus breaking himself for us. When he climbed on that cross and he paid the punishment for sin, he broke his body so that we could be forgiven. And the sacrifice of Jesus was more and is more than enough. For 2,000 years, it's been forgiving people. And it forgives 100% of our sin, past, present, and future. The breaking of food, the breaking of bread specifically is so important. Jesus, when he sat with his disciples and he instituted the communion like we took last week, it says that he broke bread with them. Symbolic of what he was getting ready to do. That God would break his son Jesus for us. As you read in Luke Towards the end of the book, it's called the, the Road to Emmaus. Jesus comes up on two disciples who are just lamenting the fact that Jesus has died. They don't know that he's been resurrected. He comes up behind them, inserts himself into the conversation. They don't know that it's him because he's hiding his identity from them. And he begins to tell them, starting from the Old Testament all the way to the, to the present, revealing himself to them. And they get to the city and they, they still don't know that it's him. And they invite him in their house and he sits down to have a meal with them. He sits at the head of the table, Jesus does. And the moment that he breaks bread, it says that their eyes are open and they see him and they know him. And then he disappears and they say, didn't our hearts burn within us? Jesus said, hey, I can, I can multiply this food, but that's just symbolic of what I'm getting ready to do for all of humanity is to break myself or have God, my Father, break me and provide for you. The sacrifice of Jesus was so much of an overpayment for sin that Paul would write, we receive an abundance of grace. That where sin abounds, grace super abounds. It's more than enough. We, in and of ourselves, we are deficient, not sufficient. We don't have what it takes to be more than enough. But the little that we have, or if you don't think what you have is little, whatever amount that you have, put in God's hands, will be more than enough. And it will always, always benefit other people. Because that's who God is. When we give to him, he gives it back out, and it's more And he returns it back to you, and it's more. And this isn't a message of giving to get. I'm not up here promoting a gospel that says, you give because God will give back to you, and that should be the primary reason. No, I'm just saying that's a principle, and it works. It comes back to you, 12 baskets full. Whatever it is that you give, it does come back to you in some form or fashion. I'm not preaching a get-rich scheme. I'm just saying there is a principle of multiplication in the Bible that when you plant that offering, you put it in the hands of God, it comes up and there's more. Just like in nature, you eat an apple, you take that seed out, you put it in the ground. That seed does not produce an apple. That seed produces a tree which produces... Thousands of apples throughout its life, which in there are more seeds that produce more trees, that produce more apples. It's woven into nature. But if you eat that seed and swallow it, a tree isn't going to grow out of your belly. That seed goes to waste. Holding on to what God has given you is like eating your seed. God wants to multiply it, not just to benefit you, but to benefit other people. Heard one pastor say it this way, that we heal the world through our generosity. And it's the generosity that we've received as a result of the gospel. 
Because as we talked last week, the gospel is generous. The gospel gives. The gospel does not take. So, little is much in God's hands. True generosity begins when we take what is in our hands and we put it in God's hands. And Jesus is more than enough. So I come back to this question that I asked at the beginning. What is in your hand? Because that's essentially what Jesus asked the disciple. What's in your hand? Why don't you go feed them? Hey, has anybody got bread? Go find out. What's in your hand? Because these 12 disciples, I guarantee you, they did not believe or were, were planning on Jesus doing a miracle that day. They wanted to get those people out of there. I believe that them holding that basket at the end was just, wow. This is Jesus. This is the the God that we serve. This is the the man that we follow. I wonder if it was almost hard for them to eat the basket of food that was left over because they were so blown away that their way of doing things, send them away. Let them go buy their own food. Jesus' way of doing things, plant that in the ground, break it, and let it multiply. I told you that there's another story in scripture where this question appears and in fact it appears almost as it was asked what's in your hand and it comes from the book of Exodus I, I, I knew it was somewhere in the Bible so this week I, I googled it you know Google can help you study the Bible I'm telling you really you got a question I just google it and it brought me to this passage of scripture and I'm like okay yeah this is this is what I thought the Exodus chapter 4 and you have Moses here. He's having this dialogue with God, and it's been going on for some chapters because God is, is reaching out to Moses, saying, Moses, I, I've called you to be the man to go into the nation of Egypt and deliver the Hebrew people. They've been enslaved for over 400 years. Moses himself was born a Hebrew, right? And then he, was, he grew up in the palace in Egypt, and he became the brother of the current pharaoh. And when he found out that he was really Hebrew, he saw an Egyptian soldier beating a Hebrew slave, and he got angry, and he killed that Egyptian soldier. And then he ran off into the desert and found himself in a place called Midian, and he became a shepherd. He was royalty in Egypt, born a Hebrew. Now he's a shepherd, and God reveals himself through a burning bush. One day, whoom, it's on fire, and it's talking to him. And God begins to deal with him and say, he reveals himself. I am the God of the universe. I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and all this stuff. And I need you to go set my people free. And then Moses just starts making excuse after excuse after excuse. I, I, I stutter. I can't do this. I can't do that. And we just keep reading Moses, you know, giving God a no at every turn. And we pick up on the conversation and here's what God has to say to Moses. Exodus chapter four, we're going to read it again from the voice Moses says this, hey, what if they don't trust me? What if they don't listen to a single word I say? They are more likely to reply, the eternal has not revealed himself to you. The eternal one answered Moses. The eternal one is God. Moses, what do you have in your hand? Moses, I, I, my shepherd's staff. Throw your staff on the ground. So Moses threw the staff on the ground and it was transformed into a snake. And Moses quickly jumped back in fear. Eternal one, God said, reach out and grab it by the tail. And despite his natural fears, Moses reached out and grabbed the snake. And as he held it, it changed back into a shepherd's staff. You see, God, after Moses asking him all these questions, I can't do this, I can't do that. What if they don't believe me? Moses, God says, Moses, what's in your hand? Basically, shut up. What are you holding in your hand? And he says, my my shepherd's staff. 
Now, that staff for Moses wasn't just a piece of stick, a wood. It wasn't just a stick for him. It represented his, his income, his livelihood, his influence. With that staff, he led the herd around Midian and to get food and to get water. That staff protected that herd. That staff was, was what kept him upright and, and from falling. That staff was, was an integral part of who he was. It was even part of his identity. And God says, I want you to throw that on the ground. Now, if, if, if you're Moses, you don't really know what's going to happen because this whole thing, this relationship you have with the God of the universe started with a bush on fire talking to you. Yeah. <laughs> you don't know what he's going to do with that stick. Is it going to disappear? Is it going to burn up? What's going to happen? All we know is that Moses throws it on the ground and it becomes a snake. And then God says, pick it up. And he picks it up and it becomes a stick again. But... There's something fundamental that changed in Moses that day. And that stick, it no longer just was a staff. And God said, throw it down. Something happened to that staff, but more importantly, something happened inside of Moses. I think if I could have titled the message, I would have titled it this. I would have titled it, throw it down. That if there's anything that you remember when you walk out of here this morning, it's throw it down. Because what is in your hand that you need to put in God's hand? What is it that you need to let go of and go from being close-handed to open-handed and big-hearted and give it to God? What is it that you just need to throw down? For some of you, maybe, maybe it is tithing. We've been talking about that. Maybe you've never taken that step and, and trusted God and, and put God first in your finances and you just need to throw it down and do it. Just bite the bullet Face the fear, get over it, and do it, and see what God does in your life and in your heart. Maybe that's it. Maybe you're here and you say, you know what, God, Josh, I, I, I already tithe. I've already thrown that down. Maybe, maybe it's your time. Maybe you need to throw your time down and you need to put God first in your day, God first in your life. Maybe you just need to take 10 minutes and get in God's word and spend some time in prayer and make that deposit in your life. And you say, well, I don't have time. Well, that's the whole point. If you put a little time in God's hand, he can multiply it. Maybe that's what you need to do. Maybe, maybe it's your ability. Maybe it's your talent. Maybe you've been coming to church for a while and you just feel like, I need to do something. I need to serve in some capacity or, or maybe serve in your neighborhood or whatever the case may be. Maybe you just need to use that ability. You need to give out of what God has been giving to you. Maybe, maybe you just need to be an, an usher, right? You just need to help keep open the door and welcome people as they come in. Maybe you can be a greeter and you could just welcome people when they come in and say, thank you for being here. We're so glad to see you. Maybe you have a musical gift. And, and you want to share that. Maybe you can, you can run sound. Maybe you can be in the techno booth and run the scriptures. Maybe you can work with kids. Maybe say, I don't love kids, but maybe God's asking you to love kids. You're like, I don't even know how to talk to kids. Maybe you can just be a stoic presence and say, hey, don't do that. You know, <laughs> I don't know. Maybe there's just something in you that you just need to let God use. So I don't have time for that. That's the problem. Throw it down. Let God do something with it. Maybe for you, you just, you just need to give your life to God. You just need to say, God, I, I declare that you are first place in my life. I, I've got sin in my life. I'm not living the way that I should. I need to give my life to you. I need to yield to you. I need salvation. And God's just saying, throw your life down. And let me pick it up.
Because you know, in verse 20, we find out what happened to that staff. Because when God asked Moses, what's in your hand? He said, my shepherd's staff. And verse 20, after Moses finally, finally agrees to do what God called him to do. He leaves, and here's what it says in verse 20. It says, Moses placed his wife and sons on a donkey and started on the long journey back to Egypt. And as he walked, look at this phrase, he carried what? God's staff. His shepherd's staff with him. That staff, that that piece of wood that Moses carried around for how many years? It stopped being his staff, and it became God's staff, when in reality, it was always God's. I think what really happened is is in that moment when Moses threw that staff down, he threw his identity, he threw his income, he threw his security, he threw his influence down, is the moment that he declared that, God, you are first place in my life. I don't want to go there. I don't feel qualified to go there. I'm utterly afraid to do it, but I'll throw it down. And it became God's staff, and it's with that staff that Moses dipped into the Nile River and it turned to blood. It's that staff that he put in the Red Sea and the waters parted and the Israelites walked across on dry land. It's that staff when they were dying of starvation in the wilderness that God said, strike that rock, and he struck the rock and water, sweet water, flew flew from it or flowed from it, however you say that. It's that staff that when they were in a battle and they were losing, that God said, Moses, hold the staff above your head, and as long as you hold it above your head, I'll give you victory. It's with that staff that God told Moses, you think your life was meant to be a shepherd in the desert of Midian, but I've called you to be a shepherd, but it's not to sheep. I called you to be a shepherd to lead my most precious possession out of slavery and bondage to the land that I promised Abraham. You are a shepherd to my people. Now pick up that staff and go to Egypt. But he had to throw it down. One of the greatest barriers, I think, for us living the blessed life, and not just giving financially, but living in what God calls us to do, is that we're unwilling to throw it down. Because we don't know what's going to happen. God, I'm afraid if I do this. I don't have enough. I'm not good enough. I can't see. I can't throw it down. Just throw it down. And see what God can do. You read throughout Scripture that that staff was God's staff that he put back in the hands of Moses. Because you know what we think? We think when we throw it down, we're going to lose it forever. And there's some things that we need to throw down that we need to lose forever. But I guarantee you, if you throw it down, what God gives you in return is far greater and far better. I personally believe, I can't prove this, that if Moses hadn't thrown that staff down, Moses would not have been the one to lead them out of Egypt into the desert, and eventually pass the torch to Joshua to lead them into the promised land. It would have been somebody else. But you know what? It just begins with a simple act of throwing it down. What is it for you this morning? What's in your hand that you need to put in God's hand? And my challenge to you today is just do it. Throw it down. Don't wait till tomorrow. Don't wait until you have more. Because here's the reality. When you have more, you're not going to give. That's a lie. Statistics show that in America alone, people who have more give less. Lower income families give more per capita than people who have more. When you have more, it'll be harder to give because that, that amount just gets bigger. When you're busier with time, it's harder to fit it in. It just it doesn't work. 
Where I'm asking you, wherever you're at today, whatever position you're in, whatever God is speaking to you about that's in your hand, to throw it down and see what he does. Because what have you got to lose? What have you got to lose? I shared this in the first service and just real quick, something that happened to me on a personal note. I, 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 you know, I was born in, in Jefferson County. I've grown up my whole life here in, in St. Louis area, Missouri. Nobody in my family speaks any other language besides English. And, and I get to high school, and, and uh, they, they say you should take Spanish because it helps you get into college. And so, okay, I'll do the two years of Spanish. And while I'm in the first, you know, the second year of Spanish, the teacher tells my mom, hey, your son, um, he's doing pretty good in this. I think that you should have him take more, and he can get college credit for it. And I'm like, I don't want to do that. I don't like this at all. And uh, anyway, I took two more years of Spanish because um, my parents paid for it. And uh, my, my third year in Spanish in high school, I, I went to Mexico and I got to use the language a little bit and it was cool. And so uh, from there, I ended up going to college and I got my degree in Spanish. And uh, it's just amazing. And I was always kind of like, God, you know, how are you going to use this? Uh, why am I majoring in Spanish? Uh, and then you put me in House Springs, Missouri, like the whitest place on the earth. You know what I mean? Um, <laughs> You know, it's like nobody speaks Spanish in here except for hola. And even that's difficult for some of us. And, uh, but, you know, you put this in me and, and I have a desire for the language and I love the people. And, and I did get a job being able to use my Spanish, but I'm just wondering on a grander scale, why, 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 why? And a few years ago, I, I go to Guatemala and we went there because we'd been doing some work there uh, with a nonprofit that Lauren and I started. And we partnered with another organization and we were attempting to buy a piece of property that would eventually um, ha- be a community for widows that had no place to go. And their husbands were killed in a civil war in just a brutal way. And so we go there and I, we go there to finalize the purchase of the land. But we have to have a meeting with this senator of, in Guatemala, like the equivalent of a U.S. senator. He's going to give a lot of money money. How this all came together, I don't know, but we went down there. So we go to this beautiful mall in Guatemala City, and we're just going to sit there and, you know, kind of just be rep- representing there, and I have to say anything. Well, the, the, the congressman, the senator, shows up, and uh, he didn't bring a translator. And the guy we're with, he didn't bring a translator, and he doesn't speak any English. And so we're sitting at the table, and they're like, what are we going to do? And I'm not saying a word. Like, I'm just like, you know, nope, I'm not saying that I speak Spanish, nothing. I'm just going to be quiet. I'm scared to death. And then my friend, he goes, hey, don't worry about it. Josh speaks Spanish. You'll be fine. And, um, and uh, he's like, Josh, you, you going to be okay? And I said, yeah, just uh, let me go to the bathroom first. Uh, literally, no lie. I said, excuse me, you know, uh, disculpa. And so I went to the bathroom and I prayed. I'm like, God, you got to help me with this because I'm scared to death. I don't want to screw this up. I don't want to do anything. And so I go pray. I go back. I sit there and, and we start the meeting and, and I, start, I start doing some translating and, and, and thanks. Thank to, uh, to God that, that I didn't screw it up and, and we ended up getting the money. But what I realized in that moment was this, is that God had, had been putting something in me for, for years and years and years and he just asked me to throw it down because I realized in that moment it wasn't about me. It wasn't about how I felt. It wasn't about how dumb I felt not being able to figure out some of the words. That It was, it was so much bigger than me. That it was about a, a group of, of widows in, in a city four hours away in Guatemala who just needed a place to live. Who just needed a community that had clean drinking water. Or had, they had enough food to eat. That it wasn't about me at all. It was really kind of in that moment that I stopped asking God the question, why Spanish, why Spanish, why Spanish? And just kind of realized, maybe, just maybe, it could be that all of that was just for this moment to be thrown down 
by you, God, to be used in some way for the sole benefit of another person. I've never seen that congressman again. He probably doesn't even remember my name. I do remember his name. None of that even matters. But what is happening now is that there is a house with a caretaker on that land. There is also some houses on the top of that land where the first widow moved in last year. And God is doing some amazing things. Hey, I'm just a kid from Jefferson County that can speak a little bit of Spanish that God used. And if that was the only time I'll ever use my Spanish on some scale where it benefits somebody else, that's okay. What is it for you that you could just throw it down and see what God could do in your life? Would you stand with me? I'm going to pray for you this morning. Bow your heads. I want to just ask this question because I ask it in the message. If there's anybody in here this morning, you say, you know what, Josh, when you said, maybe I just need to throw my life down and give it to him. I I would love to give you that opportunity to say, you know what, I need to know Jesus as my savior. I've got sin in my life. I'm living the way that I should not live. I need hope. I need salvation. I need a new way of life. If that's you, would you raise your hand? I'd love to pray with you this morning and agree with you that Jesus broke himself for you. Thank you. Heavenly Father, I thank you for every person that's here today. Holy Spirit, I ask you to begin to speak to our hearts. Reveal inside of us what it is that is in our hand that we need to put in your hands and help us to take a bold step of faith and do it today. To make the decision today to throw it down. God, you're just so faithful and you're so good. And really, God, what we put in your hands, you do multiply it. And it blesses so many more people. And it blesses so much more than just us. I pray you'd help us with that, especially in this holiday season. Lord, I pray that even as we're considering what we're going to do next week for giving hope, I I pray, Lord, that you'd just speak to our hearts concerning that as well. That we can just love this community and throw whatever it is that we have down to change this community for you as we help people move from where they're at, God, to where you ultimately want them to be. I pray that you bless us, Lord, this week. Keep us safe. Protect us. Protect our families. Protect our children while they're at school. I ask you to provide for every need that we have according to your riches and glory that are in Christ Jesus. Bring us back safe next week. We pray this in Jesus Christ's name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. 